0: morning, everyone. It's great to have you in the house as well as joining us online as we continue our Mark series. I'm wondering how many of you know what this is right here. Anybody ever see this before? I had somebody already yell it out. It is a plum bob. Some of you are like, yeah, of course. See, in the world of laser pointers and all these different aspects and ways to do construction, the plumb bob isn't as popular anymore, but I was fortunate enough to call one of our construction guys and say, could you get me a plumb bob? He goes, yeah, I have one. You know, when you're laying something in construction and you're looking at, it at the horizontal, you're looking for it to be level. But when you're building something on a vertical The vertical line isn't necessarily level, even if you use a level, the vertical line is plumb. And so if something's vertically straight, it's plumb. And this was very important tool, especially in ancient cultures, for they would drop a plumb line and use gravity to show what was straight. And so when it got over the line and then they'd attach it at the top, they'd see the line and they'd build these massive stone structures. I mean, just think of the Temple Mount and the massive stones that were there on the Temple Mount and the different areas and and all these things that we're seeing in the Gospel of Mark and how they would build these huge things and move these stones without the, the modern technology we have and build it all and make it straight, make it level, and make it plumb. In fact, I did just a little more study about it just because I was interested, especially uh, just looking at the idea all over of of Roman architecture, if you enjoy architecture and how they design something, and I was seeing how much importance is placed on stone placement, specifically three stones. And, And I'm gonna call this stone dynamics. Now, now, what do I mean by this? You got this archway there and, it, and it's really awesome how that arch looks and it looks great and it's very firm. But what you're looking at on this screen, you should be able to find a capstone, a keystone, and a corner stone. Do you know the difference between the three? Because knowing the difference, you not only see the incredible importance of each, but you also see some of the symbolic and figurative importance of each. Uh, Let's begin with the capstone. Where would the capstones be? Along the top. The capstone is often known as the finishing stone or the stone that seals it, that protects it. And, And so when the rains come and the winds come, they've got this sealant on the top and you have this great stone that's often referred to as the finishing stone. It kind of prevents and protects and it's what you see. Now, the second stone I want to point out is the keystone. Now, the keystone sits at the top of the arch. It's often referred to as the central stone. It's the stone that everything kind of is built around. It's central to the construction, and it's the apex of the construction. When we had the original 13 colonies, there was a state. There was a random state. That was in the central of those colonies and they called it the keystone state. And young people, when you look at the back of a license plate, you will sometimes see a keystone. It's the apex stone or the central stone. It signifies importance. Everything interlocks with this thing. And then the final stone is the cornerstone. It faces two sides. It's foundational, often called the foundational stone, and everything is built on it. And it's important to have a cornerstone because the cornerstone represents the first preeminent guiding stone. You see, they would grab these stones, all right, and they were obviously much larger than these, but they would grab these stones and they'd start with the foundational stone. This is about 200 pounds. I'm just jacked like that, right? And they would drop it into place and they would get it level. By, by all their measurements. And, and there could be discussions. And this is where the foremans and the landowners, they were very important because people would say, well, I would like to face it this way. Let's start the facility this way. Well, the owner kind of wants it this way. Well, you know, let's line it up. And they often did use astro- astronomy and they, they lined it up in a certain way so the sun would reflect and hit certain things. And so there'd be some argument. Now, now, any any business folks in here know that the power of an authority figure can really increase productivity, especially if that authority figure is trusted and can be depended upon. Now, why do I say that? Because a lot of times a business meeting can go on for an hour, two hours, three hours. I think this way, well, I've always heard this way. Well, I would do it this way. And then the authority figure walks in the room and goes, there, and in one word, everybody's productivity moves because the decision's been made the authority has been placed and the foundational piece begins why is that important because when you're building if you're not building on the foundational stone things can start to get crooked and then the second stone is it laid plumb or level (laughs) like what are you doing what it's my life I'll build how I want to build. And yeah, yeah, but we 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 have a foundational stone. Who's to say that's my foundation? I can, I don't need that as my foundation. And, and then someone comes along, having seen that, hey, somebody else built a little differently. Um, let's build, yeah, let's build a little differently as well. And they they take that stone and they put it there, and all of a sudden now you're getting a little nervous. Why? I mean, everybody else builds their stone that way. Yeah, but we want you to build the stone this way. Yeah, but you know what? They didn't build the stone that way, and look at them, and, and, and I can build the way What? And And people should be allowed to build how they want to build. And the world comes in with all these different philosophies on how to build. And they get away from the cornerstone, the guiding stone. Why? Is there frustration in the cornerstone? Is it that they don't want the building to look good? Or do they have an authority problem? Because the cornerstone has been given all authority on the project. And with one word, the owner said, there, that's how to build. And to build off of that is not straight. In fact, it's very crooked. And the only way to determine how to make it straight again is to drop a plum and line it up with the original foundation. The question is, will these builders build off of the cornerstone or off of their lives? For there's one cornerstone, there's one foundation, and it has served as the guidepost. And so today, we're gonna see that the problem isn't necessarily with the cornerstone. The problem is with builders who refuse to submit to authority. In this instance, the authority of the cornerstone. So we're gonna call our message today on whose authority. will be Mark chapter 11, verses 33, to Mark chapter 12, verses 12. And we're gonna look at Jesus' authority being questioned. And we're gonna watch how he answers. And we're gonna watch how he teaches them the importance of authority and what happens when you go against it. Heavenly Father, use your word today to encourage us, inspire us, but most importantly, change us. Lord, I would ask if it be your will to remove the room of distraction so that we can all concentrate on what you have for us. Lord, we also ask that you just humble our hearts so that we might receive the written word of God and to hear it, and not only hear it, but do it. And Lord, I just pray for just an extra hand of blessing and grace and mercy for those who went out of their way to be here or to be watching with us making the word of God a priority of their lives this morning. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. And may we leave differently today because we sat under this sacred text. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all renewed Bible said, amen. amen. So scripture says, again, he came to Jerusalem into the Temple Mount area. Now let's just get our bearings a little bit. We have a map and we've noticed that we've been coming from Bethany, began with a triumphal entry, walked on, sized for a donkey at Bethpage, came in, then the next day he cursed the fig tree, went into the temple, cleansed it of the money changers. Can you remember where he was? He was in the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles sat to this side of the wall and the Holy of Holies and the place, this is Herod's temple. And so Jesus is here, and they had turned it into a marketplace and they were selling things and upselling things for the sacrificial system during the Passover and Jesus comes in and he just starts throwing stuff and says, you have made a place that was supposed to be a house of worship, a den of robbers. He's, he's so upset and now he comes back the next day and with all that context, scripture says, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, And the scribes and the elders, they came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Let me put it in modern terms. When they ask on whose authority, what do they really say? Who do you think you are? You ever hear that? Who made you the boss? You can't tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. And so they questioned him on whose authority? You think you can just come in here and overturn? the money changers, walking up the trees, cursing fig trees. He's going and, and, and walking around the, the guys taking on in the triumphal entry, taking on praise like he's some sort of Roman triumph. It's like, what do you, who do you think you are? Can I stop for a second? They're talking to the one who with one word can call down myriads of angels. They're talking to the one who with one word can speak light into existence. They're talking to the one who has all authority and they dare ask him, on whose authority do you do this? The meekness of Jesus to not go, oh, I know who I am and I know what I am capable of. And so how will Jesus respond? What makes you think you can do this? The very one who set up the sacrificial system is being challenged by the religious leaders. We're the ones who make the rules. We're the ones who set the standard. We're the ones who draw the plumb line. We're the ones who hold people accountable. We're the ones who tell people whether they can carry their mat on the Sabbath. We are the ones who hold people accountable if they disobey the laws of God. Who do you think you are? Jesus turns to them and does what any uh, apologetic study would teach you to do, ask the question back, except he's a little bit firmer than that. And he says to them, I'll ask you a question and you answer me. And then I will tell you what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Can you feel the aggression here? Who do you think you are? All right, I'll ask you a question, you answer me. You almost can picture him walking at them, like, oh, oh oh, my, oh, what's going on here? Answer me, answer me, guys. Um, Was the baptism of John, was that from heaven or from man? Answer me, and some of you going, I don't even, what on earth is Jesus talking about? But the text gives you a little context, watch this. They discuss with themselves. It's almost like, give us a second, give us a second. If we say from heaven, He will say, why then did you not believe him? Can't say that. But shall we say from man, it came from man. They were afraid of the people for they all thought that John was really a prophet. So we can't say that. So they thought amongst themselves and they came up with an answer and it's a four word answer. It's, I mean, this took a lot of time for them to concentrate and put this together. And Jesus is going to answer me. And they they came back and they developed their answer and here's what they got. Ready? We do not know. Very political, right? I don't know. I don't know. Imagine Jesus. It's just like, of course you don't. And so Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I swim in the deep end and you Pharisees and Sadducees can't even come into the kiddie pool. So I'm not gonna waste time explaining to you that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And all of a sudden, Jesus switched gears and scripture says, he began to teach them in parables, in parables, like the stories, yeah. Have you ever confronted young people? You ever confront your parents or, or maybe um, older sons confront grandpa or dad or something like, hey, how come? That, that's not really fair. And they kind of sit back in their chair and they do something like this. It's not fair? No, that's not, I don't feel that's right. You know, there was a time, oh no. There was this kid, he said, it's not fair. And, and he, he, he said, dad, it's not fair that I don't get to do this. And then he went up into the room and opened the door that I bought for him and then went into the bedroom that I pay for every month. There was just this kid. And then he goes to bed on the mattress. I remember buying him. And you're like, he's talking about me. I own nothing. I just live in his world, right? And you know, the story is to basically to teach you a lesson. And you're almost like, all right, fine. So the religious leaders, on whose authority do you do this? And he begins to tell them, a story. Now, now, how do, you, how do you decipher what a parable is? Um, I, I tell you sometimes that I, I try to acronym things. I sing songs, all sorts of things to try to remember things because my mind, it's the type to go, oh, a bird, you know? And, and so I have to stay focused, right? And so I, I just develop little ways that I can remember how to um, teach the hermeneutics or the study or interpretation of a parable because they're slightly different in their genre, in their type. And so I always remember short, simple, succinct secrets, And you're like, what? What? Well, this is how I remember. They're short. They're short stories, parables. There's about 35 of them found in the gospels and they come from Jesus's mouth. Short stories and they give give a, a lesson. They're simple analogies cast alongside the truth for understanding God's ways. That's what parable can mean, cast alongside. The idea is the truth is a straight line and the parable is cast right alongside the truth. And so if a construction guy, he is building a door and he casts a plumb line and he builds a two by four, he's just measuring up each one and he's cast along, the truth is here and I'm building along this side. So a parable is a story that is cast alongside the truth. So we know, we'll learn some truth if we understand the parable. And then it's succinct. The application is best found in the main point versus going through all the details. And it's often has secrets in it, teaching that both reveal and conceal the mysteries of what it's like in the kingdom of God or the place where God dwells and what he asks of those who live in his kingdom. And so for the non-believers, those who didn't have an ear to hear, they'd be like, what's he talking about? But for those who had an ear to hear, or his disciples or those who understood what he was saying, they would get it. They would see that there's meaning to the characters, to the places, and to what's going on in the parable. And that's why You'll hear them sometimes go, what's he talking about? I think he's talking about us. And then other times, even the disciples will say to Jesus, we didn't even understand that one. And he'll explain the parable to them. They were kind of like mysteries. Do you like mystery? How many of you remember this game growing up? Anybody remember this game? You're like, growing up, I played that last night. I Growing up, well, this game has really developed through the years and and people just love it because it's a mystery. And what's the goal? What's the goal? It's threefold. You got to find who done it, right? What did they do it with? And in what room? For example, the billiard room, right? And so the game is built on hearing what's going on and developing the clues, right? By the process often of elimination, Right? to see who did it. Now I remember in college we would like to read riddles to each other sometimes at the lunch table. We would we sit around the cafeteria at school and somebody'd be like, all right, I got one, I got one. And they often had Reddit online because the internet was just coming out. So we were like, whoa, we had what we called internet cafe where we go down and we had to do one source on the internet. So you go down into the cafe and you turn on this computer and it would go, and then, all the, and then you wait, and oh, the internet's on, right? And we're like, this is never gonna take off. And, and, um, and, and so we, we would have these riddles. And, and, and so here's, a, here's an example of one. There was a railroad tycoon and he was killed on a Sunday morning. And the wife called the police who questioned everyone who was there. And they all had alibis. But upon hearing the alibis, the police arrested one immediately. Why? And we all sit there and go, all right, all right go ahead. And, and so the wife, her alibi was um, she was in bed, okay? So it wasn't her. The butler, he was polishing silverware. Of course he was. Uh, uh, the gardener trimming trees. The maid was getting the mail. And upon hearing the alibis, the police arrested the maid immediately. Why? No. Because you don't deliver mail on Sundays. It's her. And they arrest her. And we're like, ah, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. A lot of them are ridiculous. But ridiculous. But the point was, really listen in so that you hear what's going on so you can decipher if there's any clues for you to better understand why it happened that way. So with this parable, Jesus is going to respond to those questioning his authority by sharing a story about a vineyard, an owner. There are tenants and servants. There's a son involved. And then there's these others. Who are they? What do they represent? And so church, let's read this and see if we can't even do a little sleuth work and figure out what is this parable say in the context of them questioning his authority. Scripture says this, that Jesus told him a parable. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and he built a tower. He leased it to the tenants and went away to another country. Okay, so... The owner planted a vineyard. Very, very wealthy business in that time period. He put a fence around it or a hedge around it, so he wants to protect it. He finds this very valuable. This is important to him. He built a tower. You would do that to watch out for animals coming in or from those who would seek to come and destroy it or steal from him. So he has put an investment way into this. Very important. And now he leased it to tenants and went away to another country. Now, now farmer tenants at that time were very, very much common. They would come and they'd work the grounds, work the wine presses, and they would deliver the fruit of the vine back to the owner. We got it. All right, I'm following. So Jesus continues. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Makes sense. And then things go dark. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. What? Again, he sent to them a second time another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. So, so I got the first servant arriving at the archway. And this archway is messed up. Something at the vineyard has been changed. It's off the cornerstone. And he arrives and they beat him. The second one comes and they strike him in the head and treat him shamefully as he left. He had still another one. Excuse me, and he sent another one. Look, it gets a little worse. And him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. Each time they come, to the vineyard to collect the fruit for the owner. They're killing him. They're beating him. What is going on in this vineyard with these tenant farmers? And then Jesus says, he had still one another. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. It's one thing if they're going to do that to these, but they'll respect my son. And his son came to the doorway of the vineyard, if you will. And they see him and the story continues. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Oh, I've got motive. They, They didn't care about the vineyard, they didn't really even care so much about the produce. They had a problem with authority. They wanted ownership. They wanted to attack the heir who had legal authority on this property from the father. And if they kill him, then they can take over the authority. We need to take over. And scripture says this, and they took him and they killed him And they threw him out of the vineyard. And then Jesus, I'm sure looking at those questioning his authority said, what will the owner of the vineyard do? Any fathers in here got a son they truly love? You got some thoughts? If someone beat them beat your son, kicked him, punched him, killed him, and threw him out of something you built? Jesus says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. They failed to produce fruit. They killed his son. They killed many servants who came to them. And now the owner is coming to change the game. And then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, have you not read this scripture? That would be like someone walking up to an advanced lawyer who has multiple degrees, years of experience, and saying, do you know the law? And they would say, excuse me, I studied for years to pass the bar. I studied for years to get that degree. I have forgotten more things about the law than you've ever learned. And you're going to ask me, have I read the law? Jesus turns to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones who claim to be the experts on the law. The one that everybody should measure their lives off of. The one that everybody should align to. The ones who hold everyone accountable. He says, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes and the religious leaders were seeking to arrest him. But they feared the people for they perceived that he told the parable against him. They're like, I think he's talking about us. (laughs) Not totally sure, but I think. So they left him and they went away. So, who's the vineyard? What's the vineyard? Who's the owner? Who are the tenants? The servants, the son, who were the others? And to that, I would humbly ask, have you not read the scriptures? What? If you have, church, you would know who these represent. The vineyard. The vineyard is none other than Israel, God's people. The owner is God the father. We see this in Isaiah five. Let me read some of Isaiah five. Let me see if you just think it sounds familiar. Chapter five, Isaiah, the prophet writing years before Jesus would come says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and declared it of stones and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it and he took for it yield of grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. In the Hebrew, you could kind of translate that stinking grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? or his pleasant planting. And he looking and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, behold, an outcry. Israel was adulterous and served other gods. They did not build on the foundation, but began to build a crooked path, following things that were not gods, allowing things in their life, and they felt as if they were fine. In fact, you see some of the prophets crying to God going, were we not following you? And God says, no, you're not following me. You honor me with your lips. Oh, but your hearts are far from me. The vineyard is Israel. The owner is God the father. The tenants are the religious leaders. Matthew points out some of the aspects of these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were called to build on the foundation and teach the people their ways, but they made it their ways. In fact, they even added to it with law upon law upon law, and they were acting as if they were the authority and not Jesus, or excuse me, even more, the Messiah that would be coming. The servants, who were they? The faithful prophets. God had sent the people Isaiah, who they sold in half. Jeremiah, who they threw into a pit and stone. Sound like a story you just heard? Micah was constantly hit in the face, scripture says. The servants were the faithful prophets in the Old Testament sent to tell Israel, turn from your ways. But they would not. Who's the son? Who's the beloved son that they killed? None other than Jesus. But then who's the others? The others would be the Gentiles. For Israel and the sacrificial system was only a few days from being abolished. The Lamb of God was in Jerusalem and he was about to pay for the sins of the world. He would wipe this out and now the gospel would go out to the Gentiles and he would use his faithful apostles to go share the truth. Bonus question, who's the stone then? Who's the stone that was to be built upon? Did you know it's one of the apostles who tells us in Acts 4.11, he says this, Jesus is the stone you builders, Jewish leaders, rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. Jesus is the one. Isn't it interesting? The prophets foretold of a Messiah that would come, that Israel would reject. And because of their rejection, God would take his plan to the Gentiles. Amos argued with it at times. He saw in a vision that God was going to judge Israel for this. And he said, wait, that's not that doesn't seem right. And God gave him a second vision. That doesn't seem right. And then there was a third vision. And Amos says, this is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am sending down a plumb line among my people and I'll spare them no longer. You see, Israel thought they were building correctly. Hey, it's socially acceptable. Everybody's building this way, right? See, Israel thought, I mean, nobody really believes that anymore, right? Israel thought they were fine. But when God sent his plumb line down, they were left wanting. In fact, they were crooked. Have you ever noticed in scripture that God promises to make your path straight? And have you ever wondered, does he have a problem with curves? Straight or righteous or perfect. He'll lead you in straight and good and trustworthy paths versus crooked and wicked and evil paths. He puts a plumb line through it. In fact, Isaiah doubled down and he said, see, I lay in Zion a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. You got a lot of panic in your life? There's a chance that you're not aligned with how God wants you to build. You may have built this way or built that way or chosen a different path or I gotta do this my way or you know what, I don't like the authority figures in my life, I'm gonna take authority or I'm gonna push back on them but God has placed them in authority. He is the one who puts the stone not only in our lives but in the rest of our lives and he asks us to build on this and the one who builds will not be stricken with panic. In fact, I'll make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line but so often... We choose to build our own way and not built on the cornerstone, which is God, which is his son, Jesus. You know, I get thinking. In my own life, how do I live my life demonstrating That I want to live my life on his authority. I mean, on your authority, God, how do I do that? I mean, it's one thing to say, yes, I will build my life on God's authority, but that's abstract to me. How do I walk out of here and put into practice that God will be more of an authority figure in my class at school, on the court, in my sport, on the room, in my college, in the Aspiration in my entrepreneurial effort, in my office, in my business, in the apartment, in my retirement home, how will I make God the authority in my life and build on that firm foundation? And I got thinking about stone dynamics. The first stone, can you remember what's laid first? It's the cornerstone. It's a foundation. And if you build on that, you can trust that things aren't gonna fall. You say, really? Well, what does the cornerstone represent? Well, it represents Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about what kind of foundation to build on. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, how do we hear God's words? Right here. Anyone then who hears God's words of mine, these words of mine, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the, anyone want to guess? The rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Don't, don't, don't you want it to read like this? New Testament church, don't, 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 we want to this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who's a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain was no longer allowed to fall and the floods are not allowed to come and the winds blew, but it didn't scare us. Wouldn't we like that? But Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble, but guess what? It's not going to overcome you if you're built on the rock. So what does that look like? In everything I do, let it be informed by his word. In everything I seek to accomplish, let it be formed by his word. In any way I seek to get identity in this world, may it be informed by his word. That's what building on the rock looks like. Who are you? I'm a child of God. What do you do? I serve him. What do you hope to be? More like Jesus. Why do you say that? Because I've given him all authority and I build my life on that rock. But Jesus casts a second vision. Everyone who hears these words of mine and then just goes out and does whatever they wanna do, they will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And Jesus says, and great was the fall of it. But did you ever notice at the end of Matthew here, chapter seven, scripture says this, and when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them with one who had, wanna take a guess? Authority. What does it look like to build on sand? Well, when someone says, who are you? You answer by what you do or what you look like, or what your pursuits and passions are, not on the one who made you. In fact, isn't it odd, in this world, one of the first questions people ask you is, hey, what do you do for a living? As if to say, let me see if I wanna continue this conversation, because the world is built on, you are what you do, and if you don't do much, eh. And if you do great, attack, or achieve, or whatever, But in this, you are what you do. You are what people say and think about you, world. You can't make decisions because they feared what the people would say. But when you're built on the rock, you only care what he would say. And that is that firm foundation. And so let me ask you, how do you build this week as if All authority has been given to him. It starts with the cornerstone, the foundation stone. With one word, God spoke creation. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, he comes into your life and sets up a foundational peace. Have you ever called on the name of the Lord to be saved? and say, come to my life and be a rock. I don't want to build on the world. I'm sick of following the gospel of the internet. I'm sick of following the pursuit of the applause of what the people on TV say. I'm sick of the self help. I'm sick of the cycles. I'm sick of the addictions. I'm sick of the substances. I'm looking for something real. I want to build my life on something that even when the storms come, I have a foundation. As a young man, I was told don't only just build on that foundation. Once you've accepted Christ, you need something to anchor, you need something central my mentor said, pick, pick a verse that serves like an anchor for you. So I chose 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Maybe, child of God, the way to make Jesus more of an authority is if the cornerstone is placed first. This week, What if you started each morning with scripture instead of that app? Started each morning with scripture even before that coffee. Started each morning with scripture to say, I want to put you first in my life. I want your word to be the authority because I believe with a word, you can change my day. I want you to be the preeminent piece of my life. The keystone. It's central. The arch can't be perfect until you put that keystone in. I often think, what was it like for the original Roman builders when they discovered, if you put this keystone in, it holds everything together. It makes it perfect. What could you do in the middle of your day to say you're the authority in my life? I want you to be central in my activities, in my attitude, in my relationships, in my finances? How could I make this afternoon? Lord, I may have gotten off a little focus this morning, but how could I continue to build on the foundation and straighten it more towards you? And that capstone, the finishing stone, how could I end my day reviewing what you've done for me and gratitude and thankfulness for the ways that you showed up morning, noon, and night. I'd look at this image and maybe you're listening on a podcast and you can't see the image, but I have an image highlighted of the cornerstone, the keystone, and the capstone. And I just, I just, I just want to quote a verse to you and let you look at this. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author of, Or first, the perfecter of your faith and the finisher of your faith. He is the one who we are to fix our eyes on, the author, perfecter, and finisher. And you know what he says he is? I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the beloved Son. And for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Jewish leaders and the people cried crucified and they killed him but he rose again the third day. And scripture says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord you can be saved. Making him your authority It's the pathway to building a life on the rock. Isn't it amazing? He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he says, build on me. And allow me to show you the way to live life for him. Heavenly Father, we ask that you use your text today to remind us who are we are to build on, to remind us how we are to build. If there's anyone in here today who has never called upon the name of the Lord with heads bowed, eyes closed, Lord, I pray that even today they would say, I want to build on the rock. I want to build on the firm foundation. For the winds have been blowing in their life. And they haven't been that stable because they were building their own way. But when you drop that plumb line along their wall, they realize they are actually far off. And so often, just like Israel, who thought they were in line, were not plumb at all. And you drop that plumb line to say, This is the truth of your actual state. I pray today if there's anyone in the room that has never placed that cornerstone in their life, that even today they would say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I've been building my own way, and it's a crooked path. Therefore, I'm full of panic. I'm full of anger. I'm full of resentment and frustration. I say things that hurt the ones I love. I'm upset at night, I have no peace. Because I've tried to take authority of my life. And it's time for me to submit to the true authority who promises to love me and never leave me nor forsake me. And when I get out of line, Gently correct me back to where I need to be, even if it hurts because he loves me so much. I pray even today there'd be someone who'd say, come be my cornerstone. Forgive me of my sin. Be my savior. I want to build the rest of my life on you. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. And I pray Someone places that first stone today. For the child of God out there who has already placed the stone, may they review their life and ask you to drop a plumb line and show them where they're off. Have the courage to say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the area where I've been building a crooked path so that I might straighten it. You're a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances, and you say, reset that wall and build appropriately, and we will see things come back together so often that have been torn apart when we realign to the rock of our salvation. And so, Lord, we thank you for this imagery in scripture. We thank you for this text of Mark that guides us closer to who Jesus is and what he said he was. And as he is moving out of this religious system that had been built up, into an age of grace. May we look back through these stories and see us and be so thankful for the grace that was bestowed. We pray all these things, giving thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.